Hello and welcome to our new episode of Vagabond Actors. I'm Andrea Helene, talking to you from Mallorca, Spain, and I am joined by my wonderful colleagues, Brian Casp from Prague. Hey, Brian. Hey, Andrea. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I have things to report. So oh. Can't wait to get to our first segment. Woohoo! Sounds juicy. And yeah. Gary Condis from London, England. Hi, Gary. Hi, Andrea. How are you doing? I'm great. We are excited to talk in this episode about agents and working collaboratively with our agents. But before we begin that conversation, we always like to start by checking in with each other and finding out what kind of fun, creative activities we've been doing. Brian said he has a lot to report. Brian, what have you been up to? All right. So you remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about the role that I had auditioned for and then I had been offered a smaller role and I was kind of woe is meing getting work. Yes. Well, I shot that mm-hmm. yesterday. Yay. And so I can report on what it ended up being. The job was, and by the way, I'm not complaining about working. Working a job is working a job and it's totally fine. I just want to share, you know, all this angst. So the scene was that one of the more prominent characters is walking by a doorway and looks in at me and I'm in there with some other extras saying something. And that was the whole scene. He walks by and it's from his perspective, and that's it. So it was one setup, three takes, and that was the job. The more fun part was waiting in the green room with the other actors that were there and playing charades. That took more time than the actual shooting. You know, I mean, and I think that's just part of the workaday life of the actor, that sometimes the jobs are going to be like that. And the actual shooting part was fun, even though it was three takes, even though the camera was probably 30 yards away from me, over the shoulder of the other character who's looking into the room. I had a good time improvising some lines with these extras who were looking at me like I was insane. (laughs) And they seemed happy, you know, and I did it and I got out of costume and then went, went home. And so that was the job. I did meet the actor who was cast in the role that I had originally auditioned for. And he's lovely and he's working all the time and and totally different type than me. Like I have no animosity towards that. And I have no kind of like, oh, they should have cast me and I would have done better because it's a completely different choice. And so that was that, you know, it was fulfilling for me and that I was on set for the day, but it wasn't something where I was going to be like, I'm going to show them what I can do. If that makes any sense. So that was my, that's my news. That's what, that's the, the, the career thing that happened today or that, that happened this week. Great. And how did you deal with, because there was no dialogue, right? So it was the action. So how did you engage with that? The moments between action and cut? Well, I knew basically what position I was in within the story. It was basically kind of like a, a headmaster at a school. And he said, you need to be reprimanding these kids. And so I just did that. The props guy had put down a slingshot on my desk and I was like, okay, I could go with this. And so I just thought up some dialogue to say, and they didn't mic me the first take. I asked the director if I could say something. He said, yeah, sure, whatever. And so I just started talking. And then the sound guy, the second take rushed in, kind of put a microphone on the desk just so they could have something in case they wanted it. But you know, whatever I was saying wasn't the star of the show. The the star of that shot was the person who was looking into the room. Cool. 
yeah, had fun. It's a nice opportunity to have to improvise and without too much pressure, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was mm -hmm. no pressure. But I think what I did say, I mean, it's possible that they could use it if they need to. Good for you. Cool. Good for you. Yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> That's a great thing. What about you, Gary? Yeah. Well, this week I've been busy with the courses that I've been doing, particularly today, actually. I'm sure you find it that the more you teach, over time you maybe go deeper with them, obviously, but maybe you find a different angle on things and maybe a different way of putting it and a penny drops with something in a deeper way. And in the casting technique course today, I discovered a kind of expedient way to deal with one very tight turnarounds, what to focus on when you've got a very, very tight turnaround for a casting. I was finding that students, when they're faced with that, and I try and give them those conditions in the casting technique course that I do, so they have to deal with real-world problems. But I found the way they dealt with it, they tried to do it all, and they tried to tackle everything in the scene in such a tight turnaround that they become a kind of jack-of-all-trades and master of none. Mm. So I gave them instructions to work out and then focus on the most dominant element in the scene. Now, first of all, you need to work out what that is, but then focus on that. And I found that it had a profound effect when it clicked because it kind of acts like a domino effect and brings other things to life and, and other elements into play because it's all kind of connected. And particularly when you've got a short turnaround, it's like, you know what, you're not maybe going to be able to cover everything in as much depth as you wanted to. So then... Look at what really is the dominant element in this scene and at least bring that to life. You'll have life and you'll understand what is necessary, what this scene is about. For instance, is this emotionally-led scene? Is, a is this a relationship-led scene? Is this more an objective-led scene? And, of course, there's a number of ingredients that you have to tackle. But I started to find that if you really look, for instance, if you've had some really bad news where you've been betrayed and you have to come in and find out what the hell is going on, if you really just get hold of that and come in mm -hmm. and commit to that 100%, it can take care of itself in a big way. Mm -hmm. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So this idea of what is the dominant element and start there mm -hmm. if you really pushed for time rather than covering everything in a very generalized way. Yeah. It reminds me of proper test taking technique. Right. Which is like you go through the test, you answer the questions that you can answer first, and then you go back and you get the harder questions. There you go. Fill it in, right? Yeah, you fill yeah. it in. It's also a bit like how we use the Meisner approach when we're rehearsing scenes, you know, what you're describing, which is, you know, sort of having that first conversation about what is this scene about? Who wants what from whom? What are you going after? How can we rehearse this? And then just sort of using the approach and the doors and activities and other tools to get at that big energy piece that the scene rests on and then exploring that and then getting into the moments out of the rehearsal work. And I think it's a very healthy approach. Hmm. Yeah. It's finding a way in. Yeah, that's and right. Getting at it actively. Yeah. Nice. What about you? Well, I had an audition this week, a self tape, and I used We Audition. And uh, Brian, maybe I'll do one of the ads for us as, uh, with our sponsorship with We Audition. Yes, you should. Do it now. To, to, what, so talk about how, well, uh, no, I mean, like, it doesn't have to be an ad ad, but like, talk about the process of what it was like. Well, to hey, do it. we all know that auditioning in a pandemic is tough. <laughs> I know I need to redo the ad. But like, so what is it like? You know, what's the experience like? Walk us through the process. Okay. It's, it was very positive. So, I mean, 
I've been a member for some time. My previous, the last audition I had before this, I considered using it, but because time was so tight, I did not want to fiddle around with a new technology and then, you know, get sort of caught up in that and not use my time wisely. So this time I was also tight on time because my internet had been down for three days. So I was using one cell phone for sort of powering everything. And I was a little nervous about all of it, but I, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take the leap. I mean, nothing's perfect right now anyway. So let's just try this. And there's an actress I know from one of our workshops here in Mallorca who often works as a reader with We Audition. And I reached out to her and I said, Hey, are you free today? And she was great. So a huge shout out to Jeannie Yeager, who is fantastic. And uh, we got on there and she sort of walked me through it. It's quite straightforward. And you get into a platform, you sort of um, identify who your reader might be. You can choose from whoever is like sitting literally sort of with a green light on, ready to engage. Some people accept payment for their reading and some do not. And you can select a reader. You essentially send an invitation. They can accept think they have a certain period of time and during which they need to accept the offer. And then you get like into a, an exclusive room online and you have different tabs and you can upload the sides directly into the site for your partner. You can either tape within the application or you can tape on a separate device and just use the application for the connection with your partner. And I decided to tape within the application. Everything went for the most part really well. Any difficulties I had were probably related to my internet. Yeah, then it saves the files for you. You can go back and review them and download the ones you like and send them off. And I think it's a really terrific format and I will definitely use it again. And if you want to do it, it's Vagabond25 <laughs> is the right. offer code. That's right. Uh, I'm sure we'll play that again <laughs> uh, <laughs> sometime after this. <laughs> Yes. So that I had a great experience with the self-tape and then I've been teaching and again, really enjoying that with the students. I find the students are working on a couple of themes that are recurring and I'm having a lot of fun working with them. So all is well here. Dude, that sounds, that sounds really great. I am also excited to start using We Audition as well. And I will report back on that when I do it. But in the meantime, let's get into how to talk to your agent when you get one and how to communicate, how to let them know about things and how to uh, let them know maybe if there's issues in the communication or in what you expect out of them. So we'll get into that right after this. Stay tuned. Here we go. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member you can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. 
So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put Vagabond25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. So, now that we've dealt with how to get an agent and the processes of getting an agent, we can now look and explore what it's like to actually work with an agent once you've got one and maintain those good relationships, how you continue to stay in touch and enhance all your possibilities of getting work out there. You know, it's often said, isn't it, that a relationship with an agent is like a marriage and marriages are about compromise and understanding. With that in mind, Andrea, what are your tips or what are your understandings about how to best work with an agent once you've got one? I think in a similar vein to how to initially attract an agent, one has to see your professional obligations clearly once you're in that relationship. And you know, each agent has a unique personality, a style, a communication style that they prefer. You have to determine if they're going to come and see you in doing theater, if they want links to send out on your behalf. Like they will, they will communicate with you, hopefully, what it is they want from you. But some of them are, are not as proactive about that, I find. And so sometimes I, I think the actor needs to lead that conversation. And I think it's setting the tone for the relationship early on that can be really, really helpful, which is let me take you to coffee or let's have a conversation. I like to come by. How can I help you help me in the words of sort of the Jerry Maguire piece? Help me help you. <laughs> Right. So what, what can I do as an actor to make your job easier? What materials do you need from me? How often do you need the materials? What quantity of materials do you need? Can we have a conversation about my show reel, about my online casting listings? Can we just go through it and you give me your feedback? Let's make sure we're on the same page about how we want to go about doing this. What are the kind of careers that I see other actors aspiring towards that, that I find akin to what, what I'm aiming for? One thing that I notice here in, in Europe is this idea of lookalikes that casters do. And some of the casting sites even allow you to put a lookalike name in. Wow. So let's say, yeah, so let's say, um, you know, uh, a favorite casting director in London is looking for somebody who looks like Kate Blanchett. In, in some of the search engines, she can literally put in looks like Kate Blanchett, and she's going to get up all of the actresses who've indicated that they feel that they're a bit of a look like for Kate Blanchett. It's a super interesting feature that I don't think we are engaging in the U S so much, although of course it may come the things like that. You know, I think, I think really establishing early on being on the same page uh, can be very, very helpful. And they've seen maybe one side of you in the early conversations and determining, you know, whether they think and you think it'll be the right fit, whether you can all benefit mutually from the relationship. It's maybe then also the time to show them some of the other colors if they're open to it. And whether that's in terms of material or how you present yourself in the conversation in the meetings, I think that's also really helpful as well. So I think there's there's just a case to be made for having that that sit down in some form early on, no matter how busy they are, 
really try and grab that opportunity. Well, I mean, I think what you're pointing out there, which is kind of the first thing and absolutely necessary, is to always be proactive. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're saying. But um, mm-hmm. just to pick up on the Jerry Maguire quote is, wouldn't it be wonderful if an agent said to you, you had me at hello? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you know what, what's my type? And oh, don't worry about that. You had me at hello. Okay. Right. Yes. Brilliant. Thanks. Where do I sign? You know. Um, okay. So yeah, we're talking about being proactive and starting the relationship with setting out your stall and setting out some common ground. When you are in conversations with casting people and agents about the nature of their work, one common theme is you know that they're working really quickly, often, and um, so sometimes when they when they've asked for something to look a certain way and it comes differently, even like, you know, the casting briefs as you describe them, there's a lot of casting directors who who will tweet about, look, people, if I tell you I want the file to be named this way and I need it at this time, please, please, please follow the instructions because they're working at such a pace that when something comes in that's unnecessarily divergent. Sometimes it just annoys them and doesn't do anybody any good. And so I think it's also on a super practical level, helpful to understand how your agent wants to be communicated with, what times of day are the best time to yeah. communicate with them, et cetera. Like sometimes those basic little things can do you a world of good. Yeah. So communicate, but don't annoy. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right, because I know plenty of actors that are terrified to talk to their agents. And as a result of that, Mm -hmm. they stay silent because they think they're troubling them. So therefore, they wait for the phone to ring. And as a result, sort of resentment can creep in. You know, yes, communicate. But I say this cautiously because, you know, sometimes the actor's desire to talk to the agent isn't really actually about sorting anything business wise out. It's really about being needy. Yeah. So that is the annoying part. Don't annoy. Communicate. You know, be business like. Set out. Be an adult. Communicate with them. Ask from the beginning, like Andrea set out, put your stall out, be clear about where they want to put you and how you want to be seen and all the rest of it. Because resentment will inevitably come in if you haven't dealt with this from the beginning, like in any relationship, actually, and even more so because it's a business relationship. It's important to recognize you know, the difference between the two and filter out your communication accordingly. Well, it's great when you have a friendly relationship with your agent, but I think for the vast majority of actors, your agent's primary job is not to be your friend. It's to look for work on your behalf. It's to negotiate with casting and or production about the money or the certain benefits that you want in your contract or terms, whatever they might be of this size trailer or this many days or this, you know, needs to get out at this time on this day. Right, these kind of things, that's the agent's job is to be on the business side of that relationship. And while sometimes as an actor you feel like you need validation or you might need some hand holding or you might go through something that's difficult that you need someone in the business to advise you or a shoulder to cry on, for the vast majority of agents, they might do it, but they would much rather that you have someone else to do that with and that they can get on with the business of finding you work and dealing with the problems that you might be having. With my agency and the people that are in the agency, it's short emails, very, very few phone calls, some texting, and very much to the point. 
I think the only time I've really called them was when there was something that I really needed them to pay attention to in real time because there was something that I was going to lose a job if something didn't happen and I really wanted it to happen. So I would call them and say, I really need you to look at this. But otherwise, in my experience, email will take care of whatever I need to communicate most of the time. I completely agree that having the conversation with them when you get there about what are the best ways to get in touch with you, how do you like to be communicated with, is it okay to call you, is it okay to call you know, your cell phone, or should we text, or should we email, what should we do, have that conversation early. I think that if you are going to see your agent every once in a while is very good. On a regular basis, you probably do, but not like on a weekly basis, because it's just too much. Because I don't live in the same city as my agent is, and sometimes when I come, I go, hey, I'm going to come by the office and, you know, people drop by gifts or I make truffles and chocolates. So I, I like to bring chocolates to people. Other people send donuts or flowers when they get a job or something like that, which is also a very good thing. And remember that, that the assistants are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So if you're getting something for your agent's office, then definitely get something for the assistants as well. But I kind of brought by some chocolates to the agency and I just kind of stood there because everyone was working full tilt and they didn't really have time to like hang out. It wasn't a friendly, hey, let's let's kind of shoot the shit relationship. It was more like, it's great to see you. Glad you're here. We got to get to work. And they were just working their asses off, which is what I want to see in an agent, you know? Keep it brief. Definitely keep them informed when you have a conflict. Like they do not want to arrange something with casting and then have you not show up. Or have you say, oh, actually, I'm on vacation that day. A lot of agencies in the UK have a, have a system where you can put your conflicts into a calendar and they can see that so that they can schedule around your conflicts. But definitely good, clear, brief communication is the way to go with agents. Absolutely. I mean, it's all communication, isn't it? It's clear communication. But I think one thing you've pointed out is you can still keep them involved. And I think you should keep your agents involved without having to stalk them. Uh, you know, yeah. and that is sending off an email and it could be, uh, let's say you're going to do some classes and you say, but I'm available for castings. They're in the evening or whatever, you know, there's no, there's no harm to say, hi, how are you doing? Just letting you know, I'm doing some classes and it shows that you're proactive or I'm going to take a weekend or a few days off to do a short film or make a film with a friend. And so keep them involved and show them that you're also active. Mm -hmm. No one likes a passive business partner. No. It's almost like if you're an athlete, you're keeping fit. And we've mentioned this in other areas of the work where you've got to keep practicing and how do you fill in the time between jobs and all the rest of it. Well, it also filters through in terms of your relationship to your agent because, you know, you get a film, you do a film, a short film maybe, because that's easier to do than a feature perhaps. And you get into a festival and you can let them know that you've got into a festival and been nominated or even won. And they can use that, you know, on their website and uh, on their social media, or you can invite them to come to the screening. Mm -hmm. And you can do that all by email, by shooting off an email, like you say. I would even say not just that you can, I think you should. Yeah. Those kind of things that you mentioned, when you have work and they can promote it, you should absolutely send them an email and tell them about it and get as much material in their hands that they can use as possible because that's part of their job is to sell you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a way of keeping them involved in your world 
without having to tread too much into their world and seem annoying and feel like a stalker. And it shows that you're proactive. And let's say you don't even get a casting from them for a month, let's say. But in the meantime, you've kept in touch with them and said, I'm doing these courses, I'm doing this short film, I've been doing some stand-up or whatever it is, keeping your instrument, your creativity, your work alive in whatever way, which you should be doing whether you've got an agent or not anyway. You really should, whether even if you're getting three or four castings a week, you should still be doing other stuff because, you know, that's what you do. You're an actor. But let's say worst case scenario, they don't. They haven't been giving you much castings. It will enhance your relationship. It won't do it any harm. And they'll go, this actor is a real actor. And that can only enhance one's relationship rather than hinder it. And I would say if you're going through a dry spell where you're not getting as many auditions as you think you might, or if it's been, you know, a month or two or three, or hopefully it's not six months, but if it's, if it's been a long time, then it's not out of bounds to write to your agent and say, Hey, just wanted to check in and see how it's going. Just if you can send me a list of the submissions, what you've submitted me for to just check in regularly, if you are not hearing from them on a regular basis you can definitely ask for submissions, what they've been submitting you for, because that could be a sign, and we'll get to this later, if they're not submitting you for stuff, then that's a different conversation that you should be having with them. Right. And you can also say, hey, I know that it's a slow time right now. Is there something that I could be doing that will help you out? Is there some kind of material? Maybe they need new headshots or if you if your headshots are a little bit old or something like that, but just to write to them and, and let them feel like you're being proactive as well. Right. That's another thing about being proactive and also keeping them involved, if you like, is the act of updating your materials, headshots, yeah. show reels, uh, CV. Keeping your spotlight page up to date. Absolutely. Without, you know, I'm not saying every week because you don't need to change your headshots every week, but, you know, frequently enough. And again, it shows that they are, and maybe you might communicate with them and say, I'm getting new headshots done. Anything different? And that's a way of communicating yeah. with them. And ask exactly. for their input. One thing I'd like to ask Andrea, mm. still in this area of keeping them involved, which creates this relationship and hopefully enhances it and deepens it, is this issue of when you get your own work and what do you do then? Let's say you've got an agent, but you've got a director friend who's employing you and paying you. How do you keep them involved in that sense when there are occasions where you get your own work? It's a little tricky, I find, you know, depending on the relationship with the agent, how long you've been with them, what the personality is, what the scope of the agency is, how, let's say, powerful they are in the market, and how this work came about uniquely. I've been in a couple of those situations, and I felt like all of those factors had to be considered in the conversation about you know, responsibility for the communications. In those situations, I find a manager is super helpful as an alternative to an agent because they're coming at things from a slightly different direction and just maybe a little bit less possessiveness about the origination of a job. Can you just go into the difference between a manager and an agent in your experience? That is a very much more a US thing than it is a European thing. Not that it doesn't exist. It's certainly like normal practice in the States, whereas in the UK, it's not. Oh, really? Is that the same in uh, the rest of Europe as well? Pretty much. I think that the distinction in America is much more stark because the Screen Actors Guild, SAG, Mm -hmm. they have a sanctioned list of agents and agencies and a prescription of what those people can do and what they cannot do. And that is not the case in Europe. 
mm-hmm. where there's not that kind of distinction. So Okay. So an agent is working for a talent agency, right? And that's in the US, an agency is licensed by the state, as you say, franchised by the union theoretically. And so that gives them the right to solicit employment for the clients, right? And negotiate contracts. The managers are not regulated in that same way. They don't have to be employed by a management company. And they are generally not setting up auditions or negotiating contracts, although I have seen that happen. That's, you know, as they say, the letter of the law, but I've seen plenty of situations where managers are negotiating. In fact, I know a couple of very high profile actors who didn't have agents for a long time. They just had a manager with whom they were very simpatico and the manager was definitely procuring and facilitating work to happen. So those are the biggest differences. There's also, I think, some restrictions on the commission earnings. I believe that agents Mm -hmm. generally have like a 10% cap, and I don't think that managers have a cap on the percentage uh, of your income, right, that you can take. I think in the States, generally, they take 15%, generally. 15, Mm mm-hmm, that's right. But one of the benefits of having a great manager, and hopefully if you have both, they're, they're working in cahoots nicely with one another. But I think, you know, managers can give some seasoned guidance as to the direction with a different, in a way, it feels like a different kind of investment that they have in your success. I think sometimes they can do a really nice straight talk with their clients about what they think is in their best interests, long and short term and, and how to get there. And of course, managers can also help an actor to find a great agent. So they can be absolutely a part of that process. If you've got a manager and you're looking for a new agent or you're looking for your first agent, a manager can be super helpful in that regard. So they do play a slightly different role. Part of it has to do with governance over the the job functions and actors use them in distinct ways. Although there is definitely some crossover in the real world. So Brian, what do you think about that? Or have you experienced this in the past about when a job has come not for your agent, but from maybe randomly or through someone you know, and is maybe independent of your agent? Well, I've experienced that quite a bit, actually, because of the geography of my situation and being local to Prague and having representation in London, any job that is a local job, I will have a high probability of booking it through my local contacts, which means that theoretically, I don't actually need the agent in London to be involved at all. And they don't like that because... Not only do they want the commission on the job, but the reason I think why an agent would say, I want all of the jobs that you book, whether the initial contact Mm -hmm. was through me or not, I want all of them to go through me eventually. That does mean that they would take the commission on all of those jobs. But part of the reason is because then they get to control the schedule. And Mm -hmm. if there are conflicts within a schedule, and this has happened to me before, when you are doing one job with one company that is not through your agent or your manager, and then you book another job through your agent or manager, and then those jobs conflict because the shooting schedule changes or because of whatever, then that communication gets really, really hard because you're working at cross purposes to each other. Mm -hmm. So... Now, okay, this is, this, it, is comp, it is very complicated, this it whole is. concept, because if you are generating a lot of work on your own, 
and you feel like you're not getting a lot of auditions through your manager or your or your representation, and they're still taking a percentage, then to me, it's kind of like, well, what am I doing here? Why am I paying you between 10 and 17% of what I make when you're not bringing in any work? Again, it's a something that it's a reason why you might want to look at, well, is this the right representation for you? But generally, if you feel like you are kind of even at least, or even more work is coming through the representation, then the work that comes in not through them, I have no problem basically generating work and then saying to my agent, hey, I've generated this job. Can you please talk to the producer and, and work out the deal? Or even I've generated this job. This is the money that I've agreed to please take care of the contract. Mm -hmm. Or even, I've generated this job, this is the money that I've agreed to, the contract is gonna go through me, I will just pay you a commission through my own thing. And so I'm, I'm basically the middleman between the agent and the, and the production company in some cases. And when it's working, it's worth it to do it like that because actually it's another way of you engendering trust in the representation. Because if you're kind of keeping some jobs from them and you're kind of keeping that secret and then they find out all that you're doing some jobs on the side and then that wasn't what we agreed to and then what are we doing here? It, it just, it can get very tricky. Very, very tricky. You know, even if you have a representation, you can't stop trying to generate work. You mm -hmm. should always be trying to generate leads, you know, trying to, to further, like we talked about with the, with the networking, you should always be doing that work, always be looking for that next job. And when a job comes along that is not generated by your representation, you got to go, Hey, there's this great job that I've heard about and here's the thing and here's the lead and take care mm -hmm. of it and look into it. And if they don't, right. then you look into it and then pass it on to them. And if they seem uninterested, that's, again, it's another conversation to have. But mm -hmm. what they say is like the agent takes 10% of the money. They're probably doing 10% of the work. They're not a panacea. No. When I've, um, you know, in my heyday, where, uh, as you know, <laughs> I'm not, not doing it so much now. I'm not sure anyone else sees it as my heyday, but I certainly saw it as my heyday. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think the best is yet to come, Gary. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I yeah. would mature like a fine wine or an old cheese. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when I was doing it daily and I was approached because I was very proactive and I, you know, I got around and I knew a lot of people and I was doing a lot of independent stuff. The moment they contacted me, I would go, yeah, great. I'm interested. Send me the scripts and I'd read it. And if I wanted to do it, I go, I want to do it. And I go, mm -hmm. I'm just going to uh, put you onto my agent. Yeah. I would actually palm them off onto my agent and I'd go to my agent and mm -hmm. say, listen, it's from my own connections, but I want you to deal with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, you bloody do the work and you can get the money. That then absolves me from doing any admin work and getting on with the stuff that I needed to get on with, which was the acting. Right. I didn't mind that. Now, I can imagine there are certain situations where it might be tricky and you've highlighted one of those, which is when it's not going well with your agent and then resentment can come in. But let's yeah. assume it's either going well or reasonably well and or well enough for you not to have to look elsewhere or you're starting out. And I would say pass everything through your agent, even if mm -hmm. you get it, because as you've both mentioned, trust is extremely important, just like in a marriage mm -hmm. or any relationship is to deepen it and further it and grow it. It sort of grows into faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing getting in the way. If after mm -hmm. all of this, it's not working out, then you're justified and you'll be clear in your mind when you go, this mm -hmm. isn't working out. I've done everything in my power to cultivate this right. yeah. and grow it and it's not working. So I don't feel bad and I shouldn't feel bad or scared about leaving this because I'm getting work and it's just 
not working. So, yeah. so absolutely. I, I mean, I just say to avoid any possibilities is hand it to, over to the agent and they will work. Because also, I didn't want to get involved in contracts. I'm not interested in getting involved in contracts. I'm involved in the bottom line and that's it. Yeah. You know, the contracts and all the nitty gritty in the law, I wouldn't want to do that, which I've been asked to do on independence and they didn't want to go to my agent. And I'm saying, no, you go to my agent because right. if you want me, you go to my agent. It's like, let's yeah. do this properly. There's a tricky thing, and I know that this is the case in smaller markets. In Prague, I know this is the case in Budapest, where agents and casting directors are the same people. So a casting director will have a casting, they will also be representing people, and they will send the audition first to their people and not only take a fee for casting, but also take a percentage of the actor's fee as their representation. And sometimes it's happened where because of that system, the local casting people, and this is mostly for lower level projects like commercials, generally the casting directors here in Prague that deal with the big Hollywood shows are really quite good and, and they work above board and they're trustworthy and all of that stuff. So this is not this is not the case with them. But if you say, oh, I have this agent, and especially if you're living in Budapest and you're like, I have this agent in the UK, the Hungarian casting director who's casting a commercial will not want to deal with a UK agent at all. Hmm. Right. And hmm. so there's a trickiness there as well, because they want to just deal with the actor and to a large extent, screw the actor. <laughs> they want yeah. to. They want to take as much money as they can. They want to save money. Like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, they'll, ta they'll take it. They'll take it. Them. You know, it's not. They're not saving the production money. They're. Yeah. They're taking it themselves. I suppose that gets complicated, and when you're cross territories, I think you know, yeah. which is what you're talking about, and which you yeah. you actually you know live in that sort of area where there is some of that, where it's cross territories, being based mm -hmm. in Prague, but also having your agent yeah. and coming out in London. And I think when you're just based in one place, I think it's less complicated, mm -hmm. and it's like just let your agent do the work and pass it over to them and, and engender this relationship. Yeah, but it all comes back to communication. Right. Mm -hmm. If your communication lines are healthy with your agent, then those kind of issues will be solvable. With my agent now, I can say, look, I'm up for this commercial. I'm going to deal with it and I will let you know. Actually, they're not representing me for commercials, but like if it's a like a lower budget film, let's say, I'm up for this film, I'm going to deal with it and I will let you know what the deal is. And then all I need you to do is just look over the contract, make sure they're not completely screwing me. And then I will sign it. Then we'll deal with the commission later. And because there is, there is a trust and there's a communication there, then they know that they don't have to worry about me kind of stepping out on them or trying to hide stuff from them. Right. Communication and being business-like because yeah. by passing over a job to them that's come to you, you're investing in it and them who are investing in you. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm not saying you should throw bad money after good, but you've got to start there and at least create this trust and faith. But it's again, if you're seeing it as a business, which you should, it's going, okay, well, I'm going to invest in this and see how it goes and see what my return is. And hopefully the currency is trust and faith. And I like you, I'm putting you up for stuff. Yeah. Um, but then what happens when it's not working out with your agent and... Tears, lots of tears. Tears, yeah. Mm. I mean, there's two scenarios. Your agent drops you or you feel like you need to leave your agent. I mean, what's the processes? What are the thought processes behind it? What can one do? Well, Andrea, you're kind of going through this at the moment, right? <laughs> Yes. I'm just having all of these all of these images of the 
agent relationships I've had over the years and when I've been pleased and when I've been less than pleased and when I've been a great partner and when I've been, you know, not as proactive as I should have been as well. So I'm having a lot of reflection as we're talking. What's going through your mind at the moment, if you can perhaps sort of witness it? <laughs> Let me just think of what aspect of it is helpful to actors. I suppose that, you know, there are some agents that I have sought out because on paper they seemed like the right fit, et cetera, et cetera. And then in retrospect, it wasn't the right fit. I never felt really comfortable communicating with them. I felt sometimes chastised them as if I were a child. You know, I just never felt warm and welcome relationship. And when I did have that, that's maybe something I needed. Maybe, maybe Brian's like, I don't need warm and welcoming. I need like, you're on it for me. Right, Brian? I don't (laughs) need it from them. I do need it, but I don't need it from my agent for the moment. Maybe that'll change though. Well, I've discovered that I that I need to at least feel comfortable to communicate fully and For to sure. sort of take my space. And there are some people in the agency business who are not particularly good at helping even their own actors feel that they have space. So I think when I have wanted to leave the relationship, it's been a recognition that, you know, this is just not a great marriage. I don't feel respected. I don't feel like our communication is clear. I feel like you chastise me if I don't do exactly the thing that you wanted me to do. Whatever it is, if I, if mm-hmm. I have a really rotten feeling in, in the tummy, I, I got to finally face that and do something about it. So I suppose... There's a business side to it, and then there's the gut check. So I've been reflecting on those moments when I had very clear gut checks and maybe took action or didn't take action because I didn't want to go through the damn process again of trying Mm -hmm. to find somebody new. You know, it can be really daunting. So it's, you know, as we talked in the first part of this series, you know, it's, it's such a daunting prospect to try and find the right person. And then, of course, hopefully you... You will discover in taking care of the relationship that you've made the right match, but you may discover that that it's not. Like I have one agent who sought me out and I really felt that was a sign of his respect for my work and initially probably felt that was the case, but then over time didn't get that sense. Do you believe in me? Like when I hold my Oscar up, do I really want to shout your name out? (laughs) you know what i mean i guess i want that person that i can really whatever victory might come my way it'll come to mind quite naturally to say thank you for believing in me and for being by my Mm -hmm. side and walking me through this thing so those moments of change of agent have come when one or both of us is not living up to the hoped for relationship and uh time to get a move on On a very practical level, I think it is probably helpful to consider making the move to another agency when you've, before you've departed the the first one so that you're actively engaged in, you know, being submitted and things because you don't know how long it's going to take for you to find the next right person. Right. And you want to have someone who can pick up the phone if someone does call. That's right. So that's, those are the kind of things that are going through my mind, a little, little wistful for some of my better judgment about things. And then some of the times mm-hmm. where I've been, you know, quite sadly disappointed. I mean, it's interesting you, you know, being the type of person and actress that you are, it's a very emotional mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. You've got to listen to your gut, like in any walk of life or any type of relationship in life, the gut 
if you can hear it, is to be listened to. Also, what can help? Because people can get so scared of mm-hmm. leaving their agent. I hear it so often. It's one of the yeah. biggest fears. I don't get another one. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, you know, your mind goes round in circles and there's a lot at stake and it can get very emotional. And then you don't know what to do because your head's telling you one thing, you know, be logical and just stick it out because you don't want to be without an agent, but your heart's saying something else or your gut is saying something else. And I think in those times you have to, again, be business-like, like you were running a business. And that means take a step back and before breaking up with your agent, almost justify what you want to do by objectively looking at whether you have done everything you needed to do, which is everything we've just talked about. Mm -hmm. Have you done all you can? Have you been communicative with them, but not stalked or annoyed them? (laughs) Have you auditioned well? Have you kept them in the loop and kept them involved? Have you been clear with them from the outset? Have you been patient? Have there been any communication breakdowns? Mm -hmm. If you have done all of those and you've done your checklist, basically everything that we've just talked about before this in terms of maintaining a relationship, then however clouded you are inside, I'm like, well, those all those boxes have been ticked. It is definitely time to move on because my business is going down the pan. Um, That's right. Just like a business person would do by looking at the bottom line and and going, you know, we have to change something here. Mm -hmm. I would highly recommend in that case, just like Andrea said, then start the process of looking for your new agent. But unless you absolutely have to, I would not leave the agent that you have already, if you have one. Just from personal experience, like I was with an agent that, you know, when we started out, it was quite nice and it was quite good and we were in on really good terms. And then over time, I think the difficulties of my geographical situation and the communication challenges that came along with that, as well as other communication challenges, started to weigh on the relationship. And for about a year, I was kind of talking to friends and going, I think this is not it. And I would like to be looking for a new agent. And I was contacting agents and asking friends and things like that. And and it took about a year before I actually happened to meet the person who's my agent now. And then once I met him, it happened very quickly. Then it was like, mm. okay, we talked on Wednesday. On Thursday, I called my agent and I was like, I'm leaving. And she's like, okay, it was actually quite nasty. But, um, mm. which is also a scary thing because you, there's this person that you put so much trust in your career towards. And then they might get, they don't like having clients leave them. Mm-hmm. In this particular case, she saw that I was the problem. And so for me to leave her, it was like, well, pff, Good luck to you, you know? (laughs) And she sent a fairly nasty email to Mm. my new agent. And uh, it was quite ugly, I guess, just all the way around. But like I said, it took a year for that process to happen. And in that time, I, it wasn't like she wasn't answering the phone or there wasn't weren't jobs that happened as a result of our relationship, whether that was me generating the work and sending it to her or whether it was her having auditions come through. So I would definitely not leave unless you absolutely have to. Yeah, unless it's really broken down in a way. Yeah, or abusive or, you know, yeah. something like that. Then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, coming back to the analogy of a marriage, if it's just absolutely melted down and there's just no point in being in the same room as someone then you have to get out but I right. agree I think you just be patient and find someone else so that there is no sort of lag or gap between yeah but what happens if you get dropped by an agent mm. I mean being dropped is also it's awful I mean you know again there's no real win-win here you know either you drop someone or you you're dropped 
just like in mm-hmm. a relationship it's like it's not good either way but i mean for me being dropped is also a chance to step back and reassess and you've got to look at and ask why yeah and take it as an opportunity to take the agent's reasoning they may be fobbing you off they may you so you'll have to work that out but if they do critique or they give you some feedback it's like getting direction from a coaching class or from a director on set what can you do to adjust reflect on that and Mm. what can you do to make that better Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of a better possibility in the workplace yeah and very often you haven't done anything wrong it's just that for them they seem to be putting in a lot of work and you're not clicking Mm. You know, it's very easy to go, oh, and play the victim and be victimized and go, it's not my fault. It's everyone else's fault. But if you can take a positive, it has to be that. It has to be reassess and do all these things that you should have been doing anyway, which is create a new show reel, get mm-hmm. shots, start afresh. You know, me, the networking guy. <laughs> If you have a strong network of people and actor friends that are slightly ahead of you or other people, production people, producers, directors, these kind of people, if you have a network of those people and you get dropped by your agent, it's going to be that much easier to get back up and kind of reassess and get with another agent. And it might be something to say, you know, you should always be kind of keeping one eye out for, you know, who might be out there that might be right for you or in your dream scenario, where would you like to end up in terms of which agency you'd like to be with? Of course, it stings when people reject you. I mean, that's the whole sweet agony of being an actor is that you Mm. get rejected all the time. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you're never the right one pretty much, you know, statistically. But if you kind of keep your eye out and you keep your network alive, then in addition to doing all the stuff that you just said, Gary, which is like making sure that your materials are up to date, making sure that you keep doing the work part, then it will be that much easier to leverage your network and to get back up on that horse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also you'll get taken along on that wave and you just got to shop till you drop, folks. I mean, <laughs> you do. You know, yeah. it, it's like, Everywhere you look, you are faced with rejection, really. It's part of it. So it just see it as another rejection and it's like, okay, so then now I've got to overcome this. And it's quite exciting. I remember I got dropped by an agent. Um, <laughs> and you know, yeah, I, I, was, I was actually getting some work. A lot of it, strangely enough, I was getting myself through a lot of independent directors that I've met at film school and all the rest of it. But, you know, she put me up from a lot of commercials. I wasn't getting them. So it wasn't as if there was no work happening and the relationship was bad. It was just that you're an interesting character, but I don't want to put the time in with you. Are we cutting back and all the rest of it? So Mm -hmm. it was devastating. You can get over not getting a job and auditions because there's always going to be another one. But is there going to be another agent? Because it's so hard to get an agent or a decent one anyway, Mm -hmm. starting out. So it was just then an opportunity to reset and do new headshots and repackage my portfolio and go again. And it was kind of exciting. It was like, okay, great. 100%. Can I ask you guys one quick question? Can you name five adjectives that describe your ideal agent? Okay. Well, I'll I'll give it a go. Okay. So I would like my agent to be approachable. I would like my agent to be business savvy, connected, knowledgeable. And I would like my agent to be, uh, I don't know. I'll come (laughs) back to it. (laughs) Brian, what about you? 
Um, I, I'm going to take your connected one because I think that's really important mm-hmm. for an agent. An agent has to be connected to directors, to producers, to casting directors, especially. And the rest of mine gives you a very clear idea of what I value in an agent. So I, <laughs> so I wrote proactive, adventurous, smart, and I also wrote, I, I wrote innovative, but it's kind of the same thing. But I think when I was looking for a new agent, I wanted someone who was going to kick ass. And I think the kicking ass and the proactivity is really important because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of agents, and maybe it's an old school way of doing things, but I don't want someone who's just going to click submit on Spotlight mm-hmm. or on Actors Access and just wait for the phone to ring. I want someone who's going to pick up the phone, get on the phone to casting or get on the phone to a producer and be like, hey, I've got this person. You need to see them. Or they go, this person is perfect for this role. I want them to kick ass and get out there personally. Because if it's just picking up the phone when people call, I don't think that's enough in today's world, personally. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. my take on it, what I look for in an agent. I agree. I think maybe um, I'll trade you. You can have connected and I'll have kick ass. Okay. Well, we can share both of them. Let's share them both because I want both. (laughs) I'm not giving... One sort of phrase came to mind, uh, quite English, I'm not sure, I think it's American as well, ballsy. Yes. Yeah. Or chutzpah. Someone who's... Yeah. Chutzpah. Oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Good uh, Yiddish so, word. Get, get. Yeah. Kick-ass, chutzpah, ball. Yeah. And that, you know, goes with the proactive and, and also business savvy. And it's yeah. Two words. Savvy is a good word. Yeah. So put those together and I think, fucking hell, that's a pretty good agent. Right. I, I mean, I don't want them to be an asshole, to me especially, but I don't particularly need them to be friendly or warm. So here's the thing. Yeah. W- would you want an agent who you could go out for a drink with? I like going out for drinks with my agent because I've done that, but I don't think that that's a requirement. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I could live without it if they're getting yeah. work. If they're yeah, getting- if they're getting work, I mean, that, if, if work is coming yeah. in, you said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then that's enough. Then I'm like, I, if, no, don't they, worry. <laughs> let them go out to drinks with the casting director. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. And Although, schmooze with them and then get me the work. Although that's, ideally, I would like to be able to go out for a drink with them and have a, not friends, you're right. I don't think that is a requisite at all. Something like that might actually change if you bring in big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> what, they'll go out to drinks Sorry, with you? agents for being cynical, but you know what I mean? Well, if you start to bring, get, do the yeah. big movies and bring in big bucks, I'm sure you'll start going out more for a drink with them and they'll be asking you out for a drink more as well. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, that's, but that's also business. I mean, that's not real friendship anyway. It's but what do you, so Andrea, what about you? What are your five adjectives? Yeah. I think number one, professional And that to me just covers, you know, being respectful and timely and using proper language with me and with anybody else they're communicating with on my behalf. Enthusiastic. I want to believe that they believe in me and that they have genuine enthusiasm for the work that we're trying to do. I think courageous to me is my version of kick-ass ballsy. Mm -hmm. I really want somebody who's willing to take a risk and who's willing to say, you know, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm absolutely willing to go for it and to give it a try. Connected, yes, because that's just really the reality of it, that they have strong and steady connections in the world and that they cultivate that. Then I think, you know, the word of the day, proactive. I just, I want somebody who's eager to make things happen 
and uh, to act to everybody's best interests. So, but probably, yeah. probably in retrospect, one of the most important is courageous. Like I think the best luck I've ever had with any representatives have been people who've said exactly that, you know, I may not know today exactly what you're going to book, but I believe in you and I want to make this thing happen. So let's do this. And there's always been a really great result. So that's actually one of the most important qualities that I would look for. Awesome. Yeah. And we want to hear from our listeners about their experiences with their agents, the horror stories and the good stories too. It's not all bad. And how you communicate with your agents, how they communicate with you. I know there's lots of variety out there. So definitely let's get a discussion started. You can join us on our Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook. We're at Vagabond Actors on all of those platforms. And before we go and send you all off into your night or day or when Whenever you're listening to this, we want to check in and see if there's something that we have been watching or experiencing that we can recommend to our listeners. So Gary, do you have anything that you've experienced this week that you want to give a tip to our listeners? Yeah, I think this week I've been sort of, again, looking at some movies after having a bit of a foray into fiction last week. I gave the moving image a rest, but this week I got back into movies and I rewatched Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy. Mm. And I want to suggest, you know, Robert De Niro's performance in The King of Comedy, because it's one of my favorite Scorsese's movies. But also, it's just a really good example of an understated character work, but in an understated way, because character work can often be larger than life, and that's all great. But there's a real sense of understatement here. And I think it got a critical kicking on its release. It didn't do well at all for ages. And it became a bit of an underground cult film for a while. But I just think De Niro is working at, you know, at the top of his game. And, and really nicely balanced performance between satire and this kind of really unsettling psychopath. They were both at the peak of their powers uh, with the King of mm-hmm. Comedy, Scorsese mm-hmm. and De Niro. And um, I just think... De Niro really does do a fine job of channeling the terrifying elements of Taxi Driver's Travis Bickle, mm-hmm. but not in such a, you know, a sort of extreme way. And there's certain scenes like where he's at home um, practicing being a stand-up comedian and he's got these monologues going on and he's got his mother shouting to him from the other room, who you never see. And his relationship to her is just a bit creepy and, and kind of unsettling and it's quite alarming. And yeah, I just think it's a really fantastic character piece that kind of just extends De Niro out, out a bit, but in a very unsettled way. It's, it's just, yeah, it's subtle. Nice. Excellent film. Which format did you find that on, Gary? That was on Amazon. Okay, great. Yeah. I'll have to revisit it. It really is an excellent film. Lovely. Well, I've been reading, uh, I've been getting back into one of my favorite books on acting. It's actually called On Directing by Harold Klerman. Great one. It's a brilliant book, and it really is intended for more advanced actors. So if you're out there really giving a lot of thought to scripts and wanting to understand scripts and direction and working with actors and the role that rehearsal plays, all of it, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. I highly recommend on directing. He shares with us production notes from some of his most famous theatrical pieces that he's directed over the years. And They're so insightful and specific, and it's just a rich, rich journey. So I highly recommend On Directing by Harold Clerman. That's a great one. I need to revisit that. Mm -hmm. Nice. And for myself, 
I watched The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Oh. Which is on Netflix, and it's yeah. Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Sorkin's writing is snappy and brilliant, and the pacing is really great in so much of his work. And this was something that when I looked at it on Netflix, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, it's, I don't know, a trial or whatever. It's not really speaking to me. And then I've just heard so many people talking about how wonderful it was. And I thought, okay, it's a slow night. I'm going to watch it. I was actually at the hotel room because for this, you know, for this mm-hmm. three take uh, scene that I did, they drove me up to a, a city that was, you know, an hour and a half away and put me in a hotel for the night. And then and then I shot the last scene of the day. So I watched Trial of the Chicago 7 and it's really good. It's really good. The pacing is so good. The dialogue is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that I didn't really know much about. Mm-hmm. I'd heard about the riots at the Democratic National Convention in 1968, I believe, and I didn't know very much about it, really. And so it was an interesting topic, and the performances are fantastic. It doesn't drag. It's a fun watch. There's really good pacing on it. So that's what I watched, and it was great. And so I think it's a big thumbs up from me, and hopefully that will inspire some of you guys out there in Vagabond Actor Land to check some of that out. Or if you have your own stuff that you're watching, then again, let us know. But if you want to get in touch with us as individuals, you can get in touch with me at Brian Casp on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. And uh, Andrea, how can people get in touch with you? I am on Instagram at Andrea Helene three and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And Gary? Yes, you can get hold of me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at GaryCondes.com. But, you know, I like, I'm, I'm, I'm old school. I like the long form. So do <laughs> drop me an email via my website, GaryCondes.com, and go to the contact page and uh, drop me off an email. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to hear from you. Nice. And you have a new Breaking Down a Scene class coming out. Is that right? I do indeed. It is scene study where Breaking Down a Scene is part of it. But yes, um, that is starting on the 2nd of March uh, for five weeks. And uh, correspondingly, the same week, I've got another casting technique course uh, starting on the 4th of March. Great. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I think that'll do it from us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We have some listener questions coming in. So if you have questions, then be sure to let us know. We love getting your questions via audio. So if you leave us a voice message, we'd love to be able to play it. And we'll put together a new episode with some listener questions when we get enough of them. So definitely let us know. Don't be, don't be shy out there. And until next week, we wish you all to stay healthy and to stay safe and to stay creative. So from me and all of us, have a good week. Take care. Thanks, folks. Bye. Thank you.